This episode of The Holistic Voice was made possible by Old Fox. If you're looking for a fun way to impress your colleagues in rehearsal while enjoying some creative visuals and eye-grabbing design, your answer is Old Fox. Owner and soprano Lauren Urquhart designs a variety of cheeky music-themed shirts, posters, bags, and more for singers and opera fanatics in your life. Jordan and I have loved geeking out over some of these gifts, like the punny Richard Straust out mugs to a score tote bag in Baron Rider Blue, and my personal favorite, a t-shirt that you can bring to family parties that reads, No, I don't want to sing for you. Head over to etsy.com slash shop slash oldfox. That's O-L-D-F-A-C-H-S. No spaces. To support this amazing small business by a singer, for singers. And when you use code THEHOLISTICVOICE, all capital letters and no spaces, you'll receive 10% off of your first order. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of The Holistic Voice. Jordan and Austin here talking to musicians that have combined the art of singing with their passion for social justice and human rights advocacy. Before we introduce our incredibly talented guests, uh, we want to hear from you. So be sure to message theholisticvoice at gmail.com. Send us your reactions, questions you have about this episode or others, and topics that you want to hear for the next episode. So very, very excited, Jordan, to introduce our special guests on the show today. The first one being Rina Ahmed, who is the founder and artistic director of Third Eye Theater Ensemble. And with her, we have Rose Freeman, who is the founding company member and the resident stage director, as well as Angela Bourne, company member and deputy director of the ensemble, and Alexis Enyart music director of Stitch, which is one of the productions that we're going to be talking about today, and creator of performer and performer of Witness, which is the other double bill on their most recent program. So we are so excited to sit down with you all and chat. It's the first time on The Holistic Voice that we have such a, such a, a great variety of voices and perspectives here to talk. So welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. So I thought um, just to start things off, Rena, could you tell us a bit about Third Eye Theater Ensemble. What was the inspiration behind this in, this initiative? Yeah, absolutely. So the company was officially launched in 2014. Um, I started working on the company in 2013. And our mission, which we've tweaked a little bit since we started, but um, is to produce new or seldom performed operatic works that advocate for human rights and social justice. And our tagline is See, Imagine, Converse. Um, so my inspiration for the founding of the company was kind of twofold, um, sort of two things that intersected at the same time. Um, the first being the shooting that happened, uh, at Sandy Hook Elementary School in December of 2012. And I remember, um, you know, many of us artists, we are empathetic human beings. And I remember feeling very helpless and an incredible sense of sadness, um, thinking about the situation and imagining what it must be like as a parent to, to lose a young child, an innocent young child. And, um, so I really wanted to do something to help. And 
it's not like I suddenly had an idea like, let me start a company. Um, but uh, around the same time that I was kind of having this thought of like, how, what can I do to help? Um, a friend of mine had suggested that I look at the role of Baba from The Medium by Minotti. And I was, um, I knew about the opera, but I wasn't that familiar with it. And I watched it and I thought, you know, I, the version that I saw was really kind of campy and goofy in a sense, but I watched it and I thought to myself, what if we took this piece and we did it in a very realistic way and we focused on the main character, Baba, as somebody who, you know, I mean, the real issue when I looked at it was like, there's a mentally ill person and what happens when you put a gun in the hands of that individual? And that was kind of what sparked this idea of, I was just like, I want to do this. I want to produce this. And um, so I had a couple other people who were helping me at the time who are not involved in the company anymore. But one of them suggested uh, Rose as a director. And so I called Rose <laughs> And I had an interview with her on a sailboat. I mean, we, I was not on the sailboat, but Rose was. I, I was um, on the sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a very interesting conversation for the first Look, time. In my defense, we, spoke we to had each a other. water problem. You know, I had a boat. I, I worked for a sailboat company at the time as my day job. And I, I'm coming to my defense here. Uh, and we had we had to do a rescue. Somebody had gotten stranded out there, and I was in the middle of trying to save somebody. But I still had this interview with this company. I was really excited about. Jeez. So I had to talk be like, "Look, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk while I save this guy's life." Hold up. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's like just basically how things go in this company. So, <laughs> sorry, Rena. Continue. My apologies. No, no. That that's pretty much the story. I got Rose involved, and and. We did the medium, and it was very successful. I had no idea what to expect, and people are like, "Yeah, let's keep doing this." So, <laughs> and and Hence. how did Angela, Angela, and Alexis come into the picture as well? Yeah, I can jump into that one. Um, I uh, had the fortune of. Uh, convincing myself that I was in fact brave enough to go to my first Chicago audition. I had just graduated uh, grad school um, out of the University of Colorado Boulder um, and I um, put on my big girl pants and decided to go to um, the audition. So I actually uh, ended up getting cast as Monica in the medium. Um, yeah, and I, um, the values of this company are what really struck me. A lot of, I remember actually when I found out the why behind why the company was formed, it was actually during our fundraiser, we were um, at an arts gallery and singing excerpts of the show. And I remember chatting with Rena and that really, it really struck me the idea of doing opera for the sake of um, uh, connecting to the world in a more important way rather than just a stage production. So yeah, so that, that's kind of how it started. I became involved in the company actually much later than everyone else. I, I became involved with uh, the production of Patience and Sarah, which was fall of 2018, I believe. Um, and yeah, and so Patience and Sarah, I had been conducting in Chicago for a while, um, came here being music director for another opera company, Thompson Street Opera Company, and, and uh, got basically got, got lucky and had these connections with Rose, who is one of the first people who I had worked with 
Um, so I had that connection to Rose, and then and then there was this connection right across. Patience and Sarah is a lesbian story. I happen to be a lesbian, um, so that also really helps. And uh, Rose also is a big lesbian. So between all of us, <laughs> we have that. You don't find okay. a bigger lesbian. <laughs> That's right. So between between all of us, uh, there there was that importance there. So I think there's there's some aspect of found community and found family, um, just in that way for for my connection to uh, Third Eye. Specifically, but so I did that show and then was asked back to do Stitch um, in the summer and then asked back uh, a third time here. So I've been very, very grateful to be involved with Third Eye and hoping for many more shows to come. Uh, This is like a huge premise of us, though. Like, you know, we say we're a big found family, but it's in our name. We're an ensemble. We all work together as a force um, to do what's you know, to tell stories that, that advocate for social justice. And we always partner with organizations that we think are doing something awesome that have to do with, um, our work. And I love that, um, connection with, um, human rights advocacy and being so connected to society as a theater group, because that's, that's what all art is about. And it's funny when people don't connect those two. And I'm glad that you guys are doing that so well. I mean, it's a fine line between becoming didactic, right? Because we're trying to advocate for social change and also, right. you know, making art that's valuable and interesting and powerful and, and spiritually uh, relevant. Right. So actually, can you talk about that and how that applies to your name? So we got the theater ensemble part. So let's talk about Third Eye. Yes. So uh, Third Eye in is uh in hinduism and buddhism is believed to be the source of spiritual truth and insight um it's a symbol of enlightenment it's often associated with creativity imagination intuition um so you know all of these things really play into music and theater right creativity imagination um and there is a spiritual part of it for us. Um, Rose always likes to say that, and hope I'm not misquoting you, Rose, but, uh, you know, her church is theater. Like, going going to theater is like going to church. You can correct me if I... No, that's pretty accurate. That. I mean, my goal as a staging director in any room I'm in is uh, to build a holy space where everyone can just have truth. I mean, it's why I love opera so much is it's this wonderful, uh, cavalcade of, of song and visual and story. And it becomes something spiritual becomes this kind of secular prayer. Right. And, and that's where the church is. And, you know, third eye is the company I call home and call family because we're the like we've been building this church together in this way and inviting everyone to come congregate with us. So I think this is a really, really important point here, Rose, that you just discussed, and you have all been discussing this whole time. And what drew me to Third Third Eye Theater at the second I clicked on your page and started researching, it's the fact that your art uh, in, is an inclusion, and it's not. Um, an elite class sitting behind a bar on the top uh, row watching a theater while they, uh, you know, look at their binoculars or something like that. It is something of a conversation that you always uh, strive for, which I really, really appreciate. And you're always adapting and you're always 
innovating and you're bringing the real world to art. And I love that. Thank you. I think opera has been battling uh, has been battling the idea of elitism since it was formed because like, right, the first opera was performed in a rich person's wedding, right? Like there's this whole idea that, oh, you just don't understand because it's, it's fighting this whole art form. And that's complete nonsense, right? Like opera is so populist and can be so many things. And you're right. We're not sitting behind a bar and being seen in the opera box. Like that's not something our audiences are interested in. They're interested in being in the room with us and us being in the room with them. Um, I call an audience member the final collaborator, right? They are as much a participant in this as anybody. And it's not in these giant houses. We're doing opera in hundred seat houses. We're doing them in small, intimate spaces where everybody is an important member of that experience. Um, and we got to get rid of that elitism. I think it's, it's not helpful as far as making this work. And I think the whole world was presented with it when COVID hit and people were scrambling to figure out ways to include others. And that's one of the reasons why Jordan and I wanted to talk to you so badly today. How have things changed for your company from the medium in 2014, six years ago to now? Well, I think, I don't know that it fundamentally changed our ensemble. Um, I think our ensemble has always been very, a whole unit, right? Um, and I think one of the benefits of how we function, so none of us are paid a salary. We're all volunteers. We get paid um, as independent contractors when we work on productions. But so we don't have, we're able to be flexible and we don't have a permanent space, right? So we can perform really anywhere if we want to. I mean, we have traditionally been in theater spaces, but we don't have to be. Um, you know, so a lot of it was just figuring out what are we, what are we comfortable doing and w- in terms of safety and in terms of, you know, for ourselves and for our audience members and for the people at the venue, right, who are working at the venue. And so that was really a, a primary consideration. And it was... Um, You know, we just decided that for this year, we, you know, we had planned to do Stitch live and we turned that into a virtual production. And then Alexis approached us with her piece and, you know, Stitch is only 35 minutes. So we were like, sure, why don't we do a double bill? And it all worked out, I think, very well as in a virtual format the stability of the company was actually something that ended up meaning a lot to me personally as an artist, um, especially throughout this process. When, when we really started it, we didn't know if it would work. Um, a lot of this was just an exploration of like, okay, how could we do this online? And, and if we could, how would it actually come together? Um, but something I really liked that was really made clear in this was the foundation of the family aspect of this group. Um, it's been a really hard year. And I mean, I don't think anybody can argue that. And it feels like going, circling back to what uh, Rose and Rena were talking about, um, the kind of sacred space is coming together and creating art for the sake of the artists who are making it. I think oftentimes as artists, we're oftentimes focused on the end, the final collaborator. We're oftentimes kind of outwardly focused on the audience. And for the for first time in a long time, it felt like we were making art for ourselves and then inviting people in. Um, 
it felt like a really safe space. Like sometimes we would like, rather than rehearsal always functioning the way that we're used to, which is we run right on the clock. We've got a stage manager hold us to it, you know, and we start right on time. But this time it was, we spent the first like 10 to 15 minutes checking in with each person individually about how we were all doing. And I got to tell you, honestly, like a, um, like a gift to be able to be doing that work with this group of people. Could we use Stitch and Witness as as an example? Because I've been so curious to, you know, take a peek into a process that's so new to so many people. And there are so many musicians that want to be a part of this new landscape because I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Um, and so could you give us kind of a little look inside what how you navigated this, this landscape? How did you prepare rehearsals? What were tech calls like? What, what mics did you like everything, you you know, what, what was it like? I kind of want to throw this to, to Alexandra, right? Cause like she really, she grabbed the the whole beast by the horns and, and (laughs) held it underwater until it said uncle. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm flattered. I'm flattered that uh, you consider it a success in that way. It certainly didn't feel that way as, as bits and pieces were happening. As a conductor, I come with a really specific idea of what the process is going to look like before there are music rehearsals where there's going to be this amount of time to work. Then we're going to go into staging. Then we're going to go into tech. Then we're going to go into everything. And, and that's the idea for everyone as you're going in. But, but that's like the roadmap that I have um, when we're starting on day one. And so, you know, this is a really interesting process. And one of the things that benefited Stitch particularly so much was that we didn't need music rehearsals because we had just done it the previous year. So because of it being a remount with the same cast, that as a starting point really allowed Stitch to move beyond obstacle one right away. Now, obstacle two is the fact that all three of our singers are in different spaces, and different houses in different areas. So even though you surmount that, like, you've, you've gone past this uh, first obstacle of, oh, we don't need music rehearsals, you have a much, much bigger problem of, we've never done anything where people aren't in the same room together. How does that happen? Uh, it should be noted that Stitch is a cappella. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like we could send out a piano track. Yeah, because the piano track model is is definitely uh, another thing that's happening. So that's a really good point to keep yeah. in mind. And listening to each other in an acapella ensemble is so essential. So, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, it was very tricky. Um, and it was a matter of figuring out which, which numbers were going to be click track, which numbers we were going to record one singer first and then send it to the rest of the cast, and they would sing to that singer, and which of them we would just have everyone just sing on their own and see what happened. And, and that allowed, that was the freedom of the piece, and, and things happened, and, and sometimes there were cases where, oh, we need a re-record or something like that, or, or little cases. But for the most part, it was, it was taking these risks and really carefully at the start deciding which of these three methods are going to work, and then really getting into the methodology of like, okay, now how do we navigate live sound and live video, and is it possible, and how do we do it? Um, so it, it was a lot of, of process, but I would say the most important part in navigating all of it was just to sit down and already intimately know the piece so that the guesses that we were making, because they were guesses the entire time, uh, turned out to be more often right than wrong about what would be most helpful. Uh, and so that was that was partly luck. But, but knowing the piece in that way, having done it, made those guesses a lot more accurate. 
Um, and now it makes it easier in the future to say, oh, because because I did this, um, I can do something else. And, and I think that you see that with companies in general also. Not, not to get long-winded here, but one of these things you see new companies do is sometimes they'll start more in standard repertoire. Even for Third Eye, the medium is, is more standard repertoire than the pieces that they sometimes explore now and the exploration is there now. So in, in that way, Stitch is a really safe choice in a way for the company to be like, okay, we're doing a new thing. Here's something we already know. Can we make this happen? Now what have we learned from that to go do something else? So I would say that, that finding something that you already have some relationship to, since there are so many variables right now, is really important in this early step so that you, the variables are, are not everywhere, but just, but just on the new side of this is entirely new world of performance. Yeah, I'd like to actually hop in a little bit there if you if you guys don't mind. Um, something that I found really cool about this process too is because we had actually done this piece before, there's two, two parts that I found really moving and helpful as a performer is um, especially when we were doing what Alexis was talking about, like sending those, um, sending the layered recordings was actually my favorite. So ClickTrack uh, made me swear a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, that was <laughs> slamming my head against a wall. Um, but uh, the aleatoric kind of improvisatory pieces were really really special because um, I've been working with um, these singers since 2014. And so to build and improvise off each other, um, the the composer Juliette Palmer is amazing and great in that she trusts the performers to play a little bit and um, to play off of people when you're not even in the same room, but you know each other so intimately that you can kind of react to them and know what their feelings are when you're hearing it is super special. So I really feel like it's a really strong sisterhood kind of creation in this piece. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that because we've done this piece before, the meaning of the piece was actually really hit home, especially since it's about garment workers to, I personally did this work inside my closet um, which is of course surrounded by clothes that are probably touched by hands that have been um, making the garments in unsafe working conditions. And it really brings home a stronger why of why we did the piece when you, so by doing the same piece, but kind of turning the kaleidoscope just a little bit, it actually really enhanced my perspective on um, what we were doing. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's talk a little bit about the, the technical side then. How did you organize just kind of an, a united front technically? I'd like to just do a shout out to Matt Peckham. Huh. If you, <laughs> that man. Who happens to be married to Angie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, I got him. I snagged that, locked that down. <laughs> yeah. he's, like, he's a saint, and not because he's married to Angie. He's very lucky Aww. to be married to Angie. Um, he is a saint because he did so much of the technical work as far as combining the music and then stepped up, learned OBS, and has never really been a technician per se. Like that was a running joke during the technical rehearsal process was like, welcome to this side of the table, Matt. Um, And really stepped up and really stepped into his designer shoes and took so many of the elements that we kept discovering in the rehearsal process. And we had a a very long technical rehearsal process. Um, And just, he, bless him. He just really 
went with it and like every day we were learning something new and you could watch him just be like this is why designers hate themselves at the end of a tech process <laughs> he's also the most patient man so it was astounding to watch the control um <laughs> <laughs> he's hard yeah he's a he's an audio he used to do live recordings um so that was kind of his specialty before he kind of transitioned that um but yeah it is he likes to say that he got basically a master's degree for free by or not for free but he basically got a master's master's degree in like a month and a half um and how to do this by all the trial and error that he went through he was he was so amazing at it and i think i think part of what was so important in that is that he figured out what the black box was for the size because one of one of the issues of virtual stages is that there are still really different stage sizes um and i feel like one of the things that was really helpful was figuring out like what does our stage look like what does our space look like and creating an almost tangible virtual space and he also did, he got to play with vocal effects that you don't get to do normally. Um, obviously, we can't really add more reverb to a space, but like Matt could play with, um, like there were parts of the show that we wanted to be a little bit more inside the woman's heads, so like kind of voices kind of surrounding them. Um, and in those moments, he made it kind of like, like ethereal, like chapel um, uh, reverb. Um, and then other times he wanted it to be super in your face and really like smack you in the face with sound. And so he was playing with kind of those effects that you can't do in a live space. So it was um, kind of cool to get to play as an artist um, with the sound too. Yeah, it's so cool to get those different sounds and to really get to explore that. But in terms of the different spaces itself also, you know, the choice to use Zoom and OBS was a very a very conscious one based on these different, because there were conversations around Skype. And I feel like that's one of the big obstacles that is is challenging right at the beginning, looking at doing online shows is how are you going to do it? So Zoom to OBS to YouTube was a really was a really helpful and, and productive way for for our production to figure out how how to navigate that stage. But I also have done shows where it's only on Zoom and they invite everyone in on Zoom and that has a different feel. So I think that treating those as stages because it's already something we understand and understanding that the performance venue in that way is different. Uh, is helpful also just in navigating and being like, this is what my audience is like in this situation, in this case. Yeah, I thought that it was really beautiful. I, I was I was watching the um, the first Bill, Stitch, and I the opening, how you all came in and it was all improvised and 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 one of you mentioned it was a it was an ethereal effect. And I was so curious to ask how it all came together. And it seems like Matt really had a lot of <laughs> input for that and it's really cool to hear how it came together it was it was it was intimate it was it still felt like a a, a single stage and i i thought that it was that's very hard to pull off in a virtual setting in my opinion and i think it was really it was beautifully done so kudos to your whole team yeah, I was, um, Rose mentioned, um, has talked a lot about, about how it feels like this genre is, it's not quite opera, it's not quite film, it's kind of a music opera video, but not quite. Um, and that's actually something that during this process really made me um, excited about it. And I, I'm going to say something with a, I, I hope everyone takes this as a, a grain of salt here. Um, whoever is putting anything out is should get kudos. Like if you are putting out content and if you are creating in the midst of what we're going through, congratulations. I also say congratulations to anyone who is taking time to rest because I also think it's equally important to take time and let your creative juices kind of 
flow or rest or hibernate or whatever you need to do because we're whole human beings, not artistic machines. Um, but for me personally, I feel saddened by the idea of just doing something in a space without the, the final collaborator, the audience. I feel sad at the idea of just doing a concert version six feet apart with masks on. And that's not to say that those works don't have value and that they don't have a place. They personally, just for me, make me feel like I'm losing something and emphasize my sense of loss. But what was really exciting about working on this piece is that it actually, because it was this weird genre where we're kind of melding all these things and essentially breaking rules of what we're supposed to be doing or just creating new ideas. Um, it felt like it felt like a catalyst to working further into the field and seeing how far we can stretch things and also see if the the category of labeling something opera even matters as far as like when you're kind of breaking outside of those boundaries of what what this is called. And, and speaking about what things are called, I, I, I love everything about that. I, I just think that this is an example of like the reality and language cycle where reality comes first and, and is real and then language tries to find a way to capture what that is. And in this moment, there's not exactly like we're doing these things, but there aren't exactly words to describe exactly what they are as clearly as they might be, you know, in the next year. Uh, but but language also then defines what reality looks like for many people. So just because we use these language of like staged things and operatic and, and this, that, and the other, it can be really limiting in, in envisioning what things can be. So this is really time to, to break free of these language barriers in the sense of like, this is the only way I've thought about what this field is and really just go for it. Um, and just accept being in a place where like, you know, for writing witness, for example, people ask me all the time what what it is. I I don't know, like I, I don't have a I don't have a word for it that really feels totally right. Um, and I think I think that that's that's part of this like reality and language problem that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, I also I found um, speaking of witness that piece was so powerful too because I feel like in some ways that like I think we referred to it as a folk banjo opera, which like listen if there is a phrase that makes me want to see something, <laughs> it is the phrase folk banjo opera. Like I want to see that. What I really liked about that the work with that is because it really emphasized the raw vulnerability of like telling Alexis' story, which I will stop talking about her story and let her talk about it. Um, but I found that in some ways is the most operatic thing you can do is inviting someone into your own story. Rose, you had mentioned earlier about how the audience is kind of the other collaborative member in a production. And so I think the live stream aspect is really important. So I think that's cool that uh, Witness was able to really bring that on um, by, by being live in the performance. Uh, can you, can you talk more about that? And like the live stream setting where, were there a lot of people chatting and like, you're just, uh, were you like live chatting while this was happening? How did you manage that? I mean, like the, the low key terrifying thing about a stage director is you're representing a group of people that you've never met. Like part of your job is being an audience representative. And I myself was very surprised by the activity in the group, in the live stream chat. I was like, oh, wow, this is very lively. And like, this feels very communal. But it's, again, it's something different. It's, it's, it's a whole different beast. Yeah. As a performer, it feels different. Oh, it's got to be so different for you Because we didn't have any, I mean, we couldn't see the live chat, right? So, and we didn't get, you don't get any feedback when you're done. So that was... No. That was just alone in your house. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
little bit of a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and it is really wonderful. If you go on to thirdite.com, you have a really wonderful description of both Stitch and Witness, um, showing all the company members a really, really good description and where where you can do where you can find everything, as well as get involved. Speaking of volunteer performance opportunities, if I am a performer, if I'm a listener here, can I audition for your ensemble? How is that? How is that happening? So we typically hold auditions in a normal non-COVID world, um, <laughs> once a year, live auditions. And when we do that, we are looking for people who are, you know, regional to Chicago because we don't provide housing or anything like that. And we don't pay tons of money. So um, <laughs> most people are not going to want to travel in from far away to work with us. Um, so we, we, we hold have local had some auditions. people that have done that. Well, we have had some people who have had ties to Chicago or had a place to stay. So I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying, you know, you have to be able to provide your own housing. Um, So, yeah, and we, uh, in terms of like the future and whether we're going to continue to do virtual things, uh, we haven't gotten to that point yet. The whole beauty of being flexible is that we can make decisions really quickly. (laughs) So sometimes uh, we decide, oh, this is what we're going to do next, and then we just make it happen. One thing we want to, that is important about this company is, again, we are an ensemble. We always want uh, additional artists coming in and joining us. Uh, But we also understand that this industry is brutal. We want our artists to come in. We recognize that you are, you're an artist trying to do the best you can and and we're trying to do the best by you and we want you to do the best by us. So when we do do auditions, please, please submit. Um, And we will always try to be very open and honest with you about what's going on with our organization and expect the same from you. Um, But we understand what's rough out there. If I can step in as someone who has auditioned for the company, and um, we also, I would like to say, uh, the company members also still audition for roles and things like that. But um, as someone who, um, when I first was working with the company, um, I actually had a moment as a singer. I, it was in, in the first show, I was in the medium. Um, uh, Rose actually took a moment because I was worrying so much about whether or not I was doing something right. And she sat me down and told me that um, my ideas of an art as an artist hold weight and she didn't say that as like you're a special butterfly she said it as you know singers don't get enough autonomy and you don't get enough um credit for being an artist and i burst into tears so um, i would like to say that um it is we try to create a really great space that that recognizes what artists what singers can bring to the table especially when singers are kind of smushed a lot of times a real professional word to use smushed um but yeah so yeah, so well, we try to create a really safe space. Yeah, being yeah. a singer myself and knowing the struggle is real, um, <laughs> I basically tried to create a company that I wanted to work at and that other people would want to work at because we all get beat down and they're just, to me, it's senseless. Like, why, <laughs> why do we want to do that to each other? Let's just create a loving space where we can all create beautiful art that's meaningful. Can you just just preach that? Just keep doing that to all over the world? 
you know, everyone should just do what we do. Be nice yeah. people. But that's yes. really our motto. It's like, be kind humans, just be kind. And like, I, I don't know why there's so much toxicity in the world of opera. It's, it's sad. It's senseless um, and it doesn't need to be there. And it, 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 damn it. It goes back to this like elitism that we have going on in this industry. It only hurts the industry, you know, Yeah. Yep. It, 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 making yeah. it a hard place to work. Like think about how many artists we lose good. I mean, I don't know how many artists I talk to singers, good, strong, valuable, brilliant singers who one day are like, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to pay to audition for a program that's going to pay half my housing and call my tuition waiver, which is really just an illusion for their free HR work that they're doing and call this a gift to me. Well, I'm getting hit on by some administrator. Like we lose those artists. And as an industry, to me, that is unacceptable that we are allowing that kind of, uh, exodus to happen because we can't keep it together and we can't build a safe, honest, healthy environment to create work as an industry. Amen to all that. And um, I think the future of opera is in um, companies like Third Eye where you're, you know, 100 room or 100 seat rooms and things like that. That's where this is where um, some really cool art is happening. So I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. And giving a giving a new name to to third eye, it really seems like you're seeing through the industry itself. So, and calling a spotlight to the real issues, and that's, I mean, kudos. Like, let welcome to the 21st century, everyone. Like, let's get with the times. So, really, we can't wonderful. say that we're going to advocate for social justice and hold society's feet to the fire without also. Uh, holding ourselves accountable and sure. holding ourselves to the highest of standards. Um, and sometimes that means like being like, Ooh, we screwed up. Sorry, everybody. Like mm. we are open to that. I have yeah. to apologize. Like, we four make times mistakes. Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. yeah. Doing our best. <laughs> Doing our best. Our motto. Um, one thing I would like to say that I think connects what we do to the, um, the, the, to the traditional, um, archival works, if you will, or the, um, uh, the, the classic ones, right? Um, is that I actually, people have asked me, you know, what I prefer. And of course I love Mozart. Of course I love Puccini. Um, I actually tend to like the, the weird 20, um, 21st century ones, um, but the best, but what I think about a lot is that I actually feel more connected to what like Mozart was doing and what Verity were like, what they were doing is they were creating art of their time and then hiring singers to do it. And so in some ways I actually feel more connected to the heartbeat of opera doing new works and doing these works that are talking about what's going on right now. Um, so I just hope that more people see the live heartbeat of, um, of new opera right now. Rena Ahmed, founder and artistic director, Rose Freeman, founding company member and resident stage director, Angela Bourne, company member and deputy director, and Alexis Enyart, music director of Stitch and creator and performer of Witness, all a part of this wonderful Third Eye theater ensemble it has been an absolute pleasure i feel like i can uh uh, conquer you know the the world right now i feel like on top of the world after (laughs) speaking with you're so inspiring um i just want to thank you you know for for sitting down today it's been a wonderful conversation thank you thank you so much thank you absolutely
Yeah. Well, that's all we have for today's show. To find out more info on this amazing group of people, please head to third eye, T as in Tom, E dot com or follow the link in our episode description below. Uh, be sure to follow the Holistic Voice on the holisticvoice.net for the latest info. And as always, you know where to find us. Message the Holistic Voice at gmail.com and send us your reactions, questions you have, and topics that you want to hear for our next episode. See you next time on the Holistic Voice. <laughs>